Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today's movie was a request from Jordan. Jordan, thank you so much for requesting The Ring. This is the uh, 2002, I believe, American remake of the Japanese film Ringu. Uh, although it's actually been in, in many different forms, uh, besides the Japanese film uh, that came out in 1998 or 1999, there have been oh countless other Japanese versions. I actually have a bit of a history with this movie, Craig, because uh, I was living in Japan uh, in 2001. And people were still talking about this movie, and when I was in the video store looking for things to rent, yes, we did have a VHS player back then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Ring was there, along with, like, The Ring Part 2, something called Rasen, Ring Zero. They had made a lot of different sequels and prequels, and also, like, a television miniseries type version of it where Mm -hmm. a a girl wanders around topless most of the time it's (laughs) (laughs) it's japan uh and they milked this for all it was worth it was a huge hit all around asia and it was based on a novel by an actor actually uh, named koji suzuki so i imagine mr koji suzuki is sitting real pretty right now (laughs) right (laughs) with all the money he's getting from this because that then we also had some multiple sequels i think to this one in the united states as well am i right um well i think uh there was the ring 2 and then we have in theaters right now rings which is a return to the franchise i think it's just those two here in the states okay wasn't there one sadako versus uh the person from the grudge yeah i think that was in japan but that is recent too i mean that's just been within the last few months that that's come out as well Okay, so here they are about, like, uh, man, it's been almost 20 years. Not so much from the U.S. side. I guess it's only been about 13 years since we've last seen a Ring movie. And then they're rebooting it. It's so weird. It, it's it's kind of a thin story in a way. It's hard to imagine rebooting it, especially because the old one deals so much with old technology, you know, videotapes right. and whatnot. It would be interesting to see how they've updated it. Have you seen the new one that's in the theaters? I haven't seen the new one. I've read about it a little bit, and I think that that is kind of what they were going for, was uh, trying to expand it into uh, new technology. I I read a review of it today, and the review was generally positive, uh, and they felt like it did go in some new directions. This particular reviewer felt like it took them a little bit too long to get there, that they were relying a little bit too much kind of on you know, just the original stuff. But um, he, this reviewer said that uh, there is a good payoff in the end that does utilize some new things and um, kind of sets it up for potential sequels to move forward in different directions. So I don't know. I, I doubt very much that we've seen the end of it. I mean, it's been a really successful franchise. This movie did very, very well in theaters. They opened it um, early in October to a limited release uh, and they wanted to just to kind of see how it was going to do um in that limited release it did very well and then so they expanded it um, moving in closer to halloween um and it ended up at the time being the most successful horror remake of all time i don't know if it still holds that title um but it did very well and and of course they moved forward with a sequel immediately um the sequel i think also performed very well Uh, it wasn't received very well critically but um yeah the the franchise has been a big success 
Have you seen the sequel? I have, but you know what? I don't remember anything about it. You know, I read uh, reviews and things of it too, pre- preparing for this, and most of the fan reviews and and things that I read were were generally pretty negative. It, it didn't satisfy the public very well as a follow up. I mean, they ate it up. They paid their money to go see it, but uh, I think it left people disappointed, which is probably why we're only now getting a return to it. Mm, I, I'd be curious to know if you saw the Japanese original either, or at least the the big theatrical one that everyone kind of points to. Ringu. Yeah, no, I I haven't, uh, and I really know very little about it. You know, again, you know, in prepping for this, I was reading different things, and kind of the general consensus that I saw was that the remake was actually somewhat of an improvement. Uh, I guess that this film, The Ring. Um, follows the plot and most of the plot details from the original pretty closely, um, but maybe adds in a few elements that make this even better. Now, of course, I'm reading American reviews. If I were reading Japanese reviews, uh, it might be a different story, but that's kind of what I've heard. Have you seen the original? Yeah, I have. Uh, you know, back that would be back in 2001. I actually got a friend of mine, and then one of my one of my high school students. Uh, over to help translate for us. So we just popped in the videotape and she sat there between us and was kind of telling us what we needed to know as it was going on. My whole assessment of the original was that it was creepy and then boring for a long time and then creepy again (laughs) (laughs) with a killer ending. And and honestly, that's how this movie could have turned out. But I think because they added in a lot of smaller elements, you're right, it does follow the plot uh, pretty closely. But there are elements of that plot and lots of little ties into the video that they kind of stick in, um, some, a lot more flashback that they stick in, and a lot more little scares kind of along the way that uh, I think this one is a little bit superior in that, yeah. And, I, I, you know, the ending of the original was one of the scariest things I'd seen uh, in a long time up until that point. We've, we've since superseded that, uh, but I think the ending of this film is also very effective. And I thought, you know, yeah. man, they have a they have a quite a baseline standard to hold up to here uh, when they were doing the American remake of getting an ending that's as creepy and as scary as the Japanese one, which was done in, in a pretty low rent way, but very effective. Uh, but they sure did. I mean, this the ending of this one. I know we're going to get to it. Is is great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, you talked about how the original maybe got a little bit boring. I was actually a little bit worried going into this. You know, I think... Uh, because I did see it when it came out because there was a lot of hype. You know, there was a lot of marketing for the movie and, you know, they kind of tried to keep it shrouded in mystery. You know, there was a lot of um, showing uh, elements of the cursed tape, which we'll get to here in a second, but not really providing a lot of context. And so it was really just a lot of spooky imagery. Um, and then, of course, as it got closer, as it opened and they were continuing to advertise, they were showing more parts of the movie. And I remember going in um, then being very excited about it, but feeling a little bit disappointed in the end because I felt like maybe in the marketing they had given a little bit too much away. Mm. Um, I, I felt like maybe I had seen a little bit too much um, of the good stuff. And so uh, there wasn't as much um, surprise, the elements of surprise as I would have liked. Now, the ending, I did enjoy. And so in going back to this, to, uh, to talk about it tonight, I looked at the runtime of, a, of an hour and 55 minutes and I thought, oh man, that can be really long for a horror movie. <laughs> um, but uh, I didn't think that it was too long. Um, I thought that the pacing was actually really very strong. I mean, it moves. There, there may be some lulls 
where there's there's a lot of detective work going on in this yes. movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, we would get some pretty long sequences of detective work. But in those sequences, we were constantly being fed information. We were constantly getting new information. It's not like it was it was boring. Um, so I, I didn't think it was too long. I thought the pacing was actually one of the strengths of the movie. And I think the storytelling is really good here. As I was watching it this time around, I think that I realized that it's really a pretty traditional ghost story, except for the introduction of the uh, cursed tape element, which we hadn't really seen anything quite like that. I mean, we've seen cursed objects and cursed houses and those types of things, but um, the use of the technology uh, and and the the spirit using the technology as a medium to communicate with and eventually kind of enter into uh, the real world. That was unique. Beyond that, it's it's a fairly standard uh, ghost story where you've got kind of a, a vengeful spirit and um, those who are affected by it kind of have to figure out you know, the backstory of what's going on in order to try to figure out how they can um, rectify whatever needs to be rectified and and move forward. Um, But that being said, it didn't feel stale. It didn't feel like something that I had seen before. I thought that it was a fresh twist on a fairly conventional story, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I completely agree. It does have its roots in urban legend, and that's kind of interesting. Like you said, we've seen the cursed object thing before, but I think what makes this creepy is the same sort of thing that makes... Oh, we're even seeing It Follows, for example, right now, where with a cursed object, you have the cursed object, and um, it affects you in some way. Generally speaking, if you get rid of the cursed object or pass it along to somebody else, then you're home free. Whereas in this case, the idea that you could stumble upon a videotape and watch it, and now you're doomed. (laughs) Right, right. real fault or knowledge of your own it's not like the videotape itself said don't watch you know uh it it's, right it's really a pretty freaky kind of idea much like uh i thought it follows the movie was really had a really good concept at least you know where you can have sex with someone and then boom you're doomed at least in that case there was a way to kind of pass it on to somebody else but then it could always come back to you so <laughs> right in this case you're just gonna die you know if you watch this tape and right and, and that's what these two girls at the beginning of this movie uh begin uh, talking about and I actually thought it was a great intro too because it's just I mean we just jump right into that story we have Becca yeah. and Katie who are having some kind of sleepover it looks at, at, at Katie's house they're like high school age girls and they're just chatting uh, as they're watching TV which is also a cool thing and you get that that green glow of the TV on their face as they're talking Becca just starts talking about this story that she'd heard about a videotape you start to play it and it's like somebody's nightmare And suddenly, this woman comes on, smiling at you, right? Seeing you through the screen. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you've watched it. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. And exactly seven days later, who told you that? Somebody from Rivera. Who told you? What's your problem? I've watched it. It's a story, Katie. No, me and Josh, we saw it last weekend. And it's really neat the way this scene plays out, because at first you're like, oh, come on. You know, it's kind of a silly deal that she's telling her the story. She happened to watch the tape. But then Katie tries to play it off. She kind of like, like she's joking and falls into her arms. And Becca thinks she's joking until the phone rings. And then there's a look on Katie's face that totally betrays. And Becca's like, oh, my gosh, 
you, you, that actually happened. And Katie never right. really says, yes, it did. It was a nice, neat way of doing that kind of an introduction, uh, jumping right into the story, and it just read, rode the line of not being too goofy. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And especially, you know, in the first time seeing the movie, I mean, this scene, there are a couple of iconic scenes in this movie. Um, and this is one of them. I mean, this scene has been spoofed in in several movies uh, that I've seen. I, I had actually forgotten that it was from this movie. <laughs> like, I remembered all the spoofs, but I had forgotten that it came from this movie. Uh, and it, it, it is. And, and it, there's, you know, it's nice suspense. You know, the phone rings and they had talked about how that was kind of one of the elements of what, what happens. And so, um, you know, they go to answer the phone. And, and I think Becca actually answers the phone and um, she just sits there quietly. We can't hear who's on the other side. And she just kind of ominously hands it to Katie. Um, and then Katie says, oh, hi, mom. Um, and it's just her mom. But then sort of kind of weird things start happening around the house like doors are opening the tv's coming on um by itself um and and katie is obviously scared when she goes back upstairs she's calling for becca and becca's not responding she goes back upstairs and she sees water on the floor and she opens uh the door to her bedroom and i think we maybe hear her scream but it just cuts to like some really really quick flashes almost subliminal flashes where we can't see um what's going on um and then it it just cuts away and we cut to um some new characters uh we're in a school and we see a little boy his name is aiden he's played by uh, a child actor named uh david dorfman who i recognized he's a really creepy looking kid yeah um, just in general um, I had to look him up. I, I, the thing that I recognized him from, he was in uh, the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He had a small role in that, creepy in that too. Um, wow. But he's sitting there in his classroom and his teacher's at the front of the desk and it's just him. And we hear a woman walking down the hall um, and it turns out to be um, uh, Rachel, played by Naomi Watts, who I think this was one of her big breaks um, I think she had done some things before this, but uh, this was one of her first big films. I know that they originally approached uh, Jennifer Connelly with this, and she turned it down. Then they went to Jennifer Love Hewitt and Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Beckinsale, and they all turned it down. And eventually uh, it went to Naomi Watts, and this was kind of her breakout role. Um, she's coming to pick up uh, Aiden from school, and, and she's late. And the teacher is concerned uh, about Aiden because Aiden has recently lost his cousin who we soon find out is Katie, the girl from the opening scene. And he doesn't seem to be taking it well. He's drawing pictures of Katie, uh, buried in the ground and um uh rachel she kind of comes across as kind of defensive and standoffish um she doesn't come across as particularly likable uh especially in this first scene um but she tells the teacher you know of course this you know he lost his cousin who he usually spent two or three days with you know it was a, a week it was his best friend um and it's only been three days and uh the teacher says so you're saying that she died three days ago and um rachel says yeah and the teacher says well he drew these last week so we already know something's going on and when Rachel takes Aiden home um, as she's tucking him in. They're talking about things, and she says, would you like me to read a story? And he says, no, I'm kind of tired. And, and then as she's walking away, he says, we don't have enough time. 
And she says, I know I work a lot. We don't have time together. And I'm going to try to work on that. And he says, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, we don't have enough time to live. And she says, you've got plenty of time to live. And he says, um, well, do you know when I'm going to die? And she says, no, we don't know when we're going to die. And he says, well, Katie did. She told me. Um, she knew something was going to happen. So already we're putting together that there's the story behind this tape, this urban legend that Becca was talking about. Um, it appears that, uh, there's, there's something to it. And when Rachel and Aiden attend the funeral, Rachel's sister, who is Katie's mother is distraught. And, uh, she, she asks of Rachel, she says, I, I, I just can't imagine what could have happened. You know, a teenager's heart does not just stop. I've talked to all these doctors. Um, nobody can explain what happened. And I just don't know how I'm going to find out. And, and Rachel says, you know, something comforting. Um, but the sister says to her, but you can find out, right? Your job is to ask questions. Uh, Rachel is a reporter. I guess her sister kind of tasks Rachel um, with investigating what's going on. And really that's, what happens? I mean, right away, even at the funeral, uh, Rachel does start asking questions and right away she starts getting leads. Yeah, that she goes outside where there's some girls and a guy talking and they're teenagers um, and they're chatting about Katie and the death. And she learns that Katie had a boyfriend, Josh, who also died uh, that very night. And uh, at the same time, apparently at 10 o'clock, uh, she finds out later and and so yeah he and, and that was apparently a suicide uh we we through her investigation she finds that he jumped off of a really really high ledge of a building again that was at 10 o'clock and then you know later on we have a uh, detective scenes where she's going through and she discovers that uh the other kids that they were with um, at the time when they watched this tape or also died in a car accident sure enough the same time at 10 o'clock so yeah right. what they've revealed is that katie and these kids along with her boyfriend josh were at a cabin and apparently their mother didn't know about it right didn't even know about the boyfriend right. too so that's how all this uh kind of was under wraps and and gives her some things to um to find out what i found to be a little bit on the cheesy side was how easily all these pieces fall into place. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, she, she never really runs into any kind of roadblock. Um, there, there's at one point in the movie where they kind of end up back where they had started. And in fact, she even says we're, I'm back where I'm started. I don't know where to go from here. But then there's another device that very quickly leads them right onto the next path. That was the only thing. We talk about uh, realism in movies all the time. Would these things fall into place so easily? Surely not. Um, but for storytelling's sake, I'm glad that they do because it, it keeps the pace moving and um, it keeps it from lagging. And I appreciate that. One of the things, you know, I think that after she talks to the teenagers, she goes up to get Aiden, who is in Katie's room and she's kind of snooping through Katie's stuff a little bit. And I feel like she finds a tag. Our younger listeners probably won't even know what this is either, but um, <laughs> when we used to have film in cameras and we used to take that film to be developed, um, they would give you a tag, like, like a dry cleaner slip that you would turn back in to collect your pictures. And so she finds one of those in Katie's room and she goes and uh, gets the, the photographs and, you know, it's very typical teenage stuff. It's of them, you know, she sees the sign uh, of the Shelter Mountain Inn that they're going to. And then, it's, you know, there's, it's a sequence of them, photographs of them walking into the cabin and there's even a picture of them sitting in front of the TV and then 
after the picture with the TV in it, there's distortion in all of their faces. It's just their faces, but their faces uh, are distorted. And she finds that odd. Um, and so that's what leads her, I think, to go to check out the Shelter Mountain Inn. Again, she just <laughs> the, the clues just keep piling up. Yeah, they do. She goes to this inn. There's an innkeeper there, a young guy uh, who... Um, just nonchalantly says, yeah, I recognize these people. Yes, they were here. Uh, there were some complaints about them. They were a little rowdy, blah, 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 blah. But uh, she turns around and sees that there is a shelf. And again, very conveniently, she sees a shelf of VHS tapes. Uh, reception's never good here. That's why we bought tape players for videos. Quite a selection. <laughs> Mostly they're hand-me-downs left by other guests. And uh, looking at this tape rack, she can instantly spot and just intuit which tape is the one because it's the only one not in a tape sleeve. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all kind and of again, hokey. I mean... It, it is hokey. <laughs> it's funny, though, because that's a real thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, my yeah. dad used to take... My dad used to take me fishing in Minnesota every summer uh, up until I, I think I you know, was like a freshman in college. We went every summer and this was not uncommon at all for there not to be any kind of satellite or cable or anything. There would just be one rinky old TV with the VHS and you could go to the office and borrow uh, movies to watch. So that was uh, <laughs> I, I, I smiled at that because it was kind of uh, nostalgic for me. And um, I, I imagine that some especially contemporary viewers, viewers today would think, what? That would never happened no folks that was a real thing <laughs> oh yeah it, it totally was no i remember it too in fact you even even in like a, a normal like a holiday inn or a place like that uh sometimes instead of like a instead of the movies you can rent through the television um you would have to go downstairs and like rent a tape and bring it back up it was it was right it was totally a thing but what's hokey about it is that oh here's the tape it's right there on the shelf it's so obvious but it's not obvious <laughs> but she just knows right, this is the right. one because it's the one that's not in a sleeve and it's unmarked and so she grabs it and she takes it back to the room and she watches the tape and the tape itself is pretty cool and they, yes. this is where they took some liberties a little bit with the Japanese version although in spirit it's very similar um, she sees a number of images on the tape. Uh, there's a, a tall ladder and the tall ladder falling and a close-up on an, what looks to be an eye, but it's clearly like an animal eye or something. Uh, there's mm -hmm. uh, an image of a tree. There's water lapping uh, across the ground. There's something dead that seems to have washed up on a beach. And, you know, there's something in the distance there. There's a fly buzzing around at one point that looks like it got on the camera as it was recording. Uh, there's a woman who you can see through a mirror on the wall who seems to be looking at the person in the camera. Uh, the mirror moves to the other side of the wall, and you can see like what looks like a girl with her back to the camera. And just all of these images uh, flash by it. And as uh, Noah, her boyfriend, who we'll meet later, mentions it, it's it's like a, it's like a cheap uh, student art film. <laughs> right, right. Um, that actually reminds like me. Like a Nine Inch Nails music video or something. Ah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it actually reminded me of um, Un Chien de Andalou. It's, it's, and I might not even be saying that right, but that's a Salvador Dali film. Have you heard of this movie or seen it? 
No, I haven't, but I know I'm familiar with Dolly's work. It's all very surreal, and and the the video, the images are very surreal. So that makes sense. Oh, it is, and even in in Dolly's film, uh, what's what it's probably most famous for is an image of a of a an eye getting stabbed, basically, Ugh. and uh, and that you know where you kind of just flick that creepy thing in there. And uh, again, it also kind of reminds you even of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when they're going through the tunnel, and uh, there's that yeah. video that's playing behind them, and it just has all these random creepy things and things that are might be even normal but because in in the context and the way that they're flashed up so quickly at you um it just assaults your senses uh it's very convincing as a kind of tape that might have some mystical you know magical power about it i think yeah i agree and what really separates this movie from the japanese one is that all of these images on the tape are very deliberate in that later on in the film as the investigation progresses one of the things that keeps it interesting, and this is what the Japanese film kind of lacked, which is why it was super boring during the investigation part, is that um, all of the bits and elements in the tape, almost all of them get referenced at some point. Like, she will see the tree. Mm-hmm. She will see the ladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and f- and from there, this is, I, I didn't remember this. Uh, it, it starts uh, counting down the days. We move away from the cabin and we get uh, a title card that says Thursday, day one. Noah is headed off to school and he runs into this guy in the street and they just kind of pause and look at each other, which I thought was kind of odd. I, and I couldn't remember what was going on there. Oh, so um, Noah's played by an actor named uh, Martin Henderson. He's done a lot of TV. He was in uh, Grey's Anatomy. It was um, Aiden, actually, who was walking down the street and saw this guy who was Noah. He, You're right. It's a weird scene. They stare at each other, and then they walk by, and you think that this is a stranger that he's seeing? It, it's strange. In fact, right. even still, it's strange. Apparently, Rachel has called him. And uh, so he is on his way to Rachel's apartment. Uh, and he shows up there, and she tells him the story of the tape. And later on, we intuit. And what's really nice is at the times, they really spoon-feed you things. And other times, they withhold information um, and give it to you in a more natural Mm -hmm. way. And this is one of those circumstances where it's slowly we learn that, oh, they have a previous relationship. And then much later, we learn Aiden is actually their son. But at the time, we only know that he is maybe a photographer friend. And so she asks him for for advice about this tape because – he knows photography. She wants to know where it came from. Uh, and he wants to watch the tape. And she's like, oh, I don't think that's such a great idea. And he's, she's like, you know, people died from this. And he's like, look, Rachel, nobody died from watching a videotape. And so he... Right. <laughs> <laughs> and well, so... And, and the evidence that, you know, the evidence that she's citing is that now that she's watched it, she has uh, taken a bunch of pictures of herself and um, she has him take a picture of her. And, and I guess it's, it, it makes a sound like a, a film camera, but I guess it's a digital camera because he can see it right away. Um, and her face is distorted in the same way that there's the the kids was in those photographs and so she is actually concerned that um something is going on here and so when he wants to watch the tape she doesn't want to let him but like you said he's so skeptical she finally just relents and lets him watch it and we get to see you know him uh watching it and after he does watch it uh, the phone rings but they just don't answer it i i gotta say i mean it, it's a little silly that this photographer would take some pictures of her see that her face is distorted and not find that more interesting like yeah he then turn it around and take some pictures of himself or take some pictures of some other things he doesn't do a very good job in his skepticism of reassuring her oh it's just a problem with the camera or something like that i mean she did call him over to help him because he has expertise in these matters and he's just like true oh uh, yeah yeah but but anyway wasn't this about a tape 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, it's a clever device in the film that they don't answer it. But again, if he is here to reassure her and is skeptical and wants to show her that nothing's a thing, wouldn't he? Wouldn't they answer the phone so he could at least know you would for think sure? So. I mean, yeah, you would think so. I wondered. I, I wondered about that, and I wondered if maybe she just left that part out. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, did he know about the phone call? Uh, I don't know. I mean, she clearly does, and she's clearly rattled when the phone rings. But it, it seems like he's not even aware of that element because he just says something like, "Aren't you going to answer it?" Um, and she almost does. I mean, I, I feel like she goes towards the phone, but eventually the uh, the answering machine picks up, and so um, she doesn't answer, and he leaves. But, you know, she's still scared and he can tell that she's scared. And so he says, all right, fine, make me a copy. I'll look at it. I'll try to figure out where it came from, you know, where, how it was filmed, where it was filmed. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, so she does. I guess she utilizes uh, the equipment at her work uh, to make a copy of the tape. And as she's making it, the equipment uh, is acting funny there's something weird going on like the the lights are flashing on the the face of the reporter yeah. and things and it's it, just acting odd right right and and if you've been in video production this is what's called time code uh, as the tape goes there's a track that's laid down that basically uh frame by frame you know says this is frame one this is frame two this is frame three this is frame four and it's used by the vcr in order to go back and forth through it or to skip uh to different frames i mean my gosh, you got to explain this technology to everybody now. <laughs> but it was an important element oh, yeah. of, of tapes. And the, the control track actually gets laid down at the edge of the tape. So if you think about a tape as a physical medium being pulled through uh, a machine, um, this is one of the real flaws of VHS technology is that this time code track is right on the edge. And so after a while, what part of the tape gets the most worn but the edges? And so the edges get, you know, kind of like wavy. And um, when that time code uh, track is damaged, then the, the VCR doesn't know quite how to read those frames. And so you get spots in the video where the, it might flicker or go weird on you. And that's because that time code mm -hmm. uh, section has been damaged. But it doesn't happen in the way that she sees it. This is total Hollywood stuff. It's not like it's going to start showing things that aren't numbers <laughs> on on the yeah. equipment. You know, it flickers through all these weird symbols or something like that. And it's not going to do that. It's just actually what's going to happen is it's going to freeze. It's going to freeze on the last number it could read. And as you advance through the tape... Um, you're just not going to see any other numbers until maybe it picks up another one later. So yeah, that's a little bit of unnecessary, but you know, interesting movie trivia for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was curious about that because I knew you knew about that stuff, and it, um, you know, all this stuff that we've just talked about from the time I said that Thursday flashes on the screen to where we are now. Now, all of this takes like two or three minutes, which I thought was really funny because then it jumps immediately to Friday, day two. And I'm like, woo, these days are going to go by fast. And they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> this week goes by really fast. But on day two, she takes the tape to Noah's apartment and he's got all this video equipment too. And he's talking about all this techie stuff about fingerprints and about how this couldn't possibly be a copy because of the fingerprints. And like the fingerprints should be able to tell you what medium it was uh, filmed through and all that kind of stuff. Is that stuff real or is that? Uh, 
Hollywood too. Some of that's kind of BS. I mean, as far as I know, like now we have metadata, right? You take a picture and there's a little bit of information in that JPEG or whatever that tells you uh, it was taken by this camera, it was on this date, um, it was it's this resolution, the aperture was set at this, you know, this was the exposure and all that information gets recorded. It's not true uh, with VHS tapes. To my knowledge, uh, you'd have to do a considerable amount of detective work to be able to figure out a camcorder, a Sony camcorder recorded this, you know. And as far as like dates yeah. and things like that go, none of that was on the the control track. All of that was on like if you wanted it as you as you and I know, you know, you had to have like right. the date pop up on the screen and get burned the into digital, the image somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, no most of that was BS, but Again, the spirit of it is there. The time code track is weird. And actually, if you make a copy of a tape, it lays down new time code track onto the copy. So one way that you can kind of fix, even though you degrade the tape, one way that you can try to at least help try to fix a tape and and make it a little more watchable is to make a copy. Because even though you're going to get the same flaws that you had in the original tape, it's Mm going to be with new time code laid under it which is fresh, which is going to say this is frame one, this is frame two, this is frame three. So it's not going to freak the VCR out, you know, and it's also not going to, uh, you know, you have a fresher tape, so you're not going to degrade it much more, you know, as quickly. So that's really the only thing there. Well, and and it's really pretty insignificant whether it's real or not, except for that it establishes that there is something – odd and possibly unexplainable or supernatural about this tape. And while they're looking at it, another thing that they do, and again, you know, I remember the tracking problems on the VCR, especially on older tapes, uh, and you would have to try to adjust the tracking to get it back on. And it very rarely worked, especially for those tapes that you watched over and over again as a kid. Eventually, they would just crap out. But while they're trying to adjust the tracking to fix it, she thinks that she sees something over in the... I like, I guess it would be in a different frame. And so they try to stretch it so that they can see what's in that other frame or something. I, again, I don't really know how it works, but they, they can't get it to work. But when she leaves the apartment, um, she takes the tape with her. He wants her to leave it so he can look at it, but she doesn't want his assistant to see it. So she takes it with her. And, um, as she walks out of his building, there's a big, tall ladder, almost identical to, very reminiscent of the ladder that she saw. So these images are popping up uh, in her life. On day three, she uh, visits Becca, Katie's friend from the opening scene, in a mental hospital. Becca, how did she die? Please, I need to know. And you will. She'll show you. Who? Who will show me? Not now. Four days. I don't know how Becca can intuit this, um, but it's 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 pretty ominous, and it kind of just reaffirms for Rachel that her fears are substantiated. Um, and then she goes and, and I don't know borrows some equipment or, or you know goes and uses an equipment at some facility, and she stretches the tracking again. And not only does she see a lighthouse, which she's just barely able to, but she's able to catch a screen grab of that and print it out. Um, but also that fly that we had seen before that had been buzzing around um, and that she had made notice of before. When she pauses the tape this time, 
it's 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 subtle but she can till she can still see the fly moving the wings of the fly are still moving and she reaches up as though she's going to try to pluck it off the screen and that's exactly what she does um as though she has pulled it out of uh the video out through the television which of course becomes important later and when that happens uh, she also gets a bloody nose so there's no question throughout that there is something supernatural going on they don't try to keep that from us they don't try to keep us guessing if it's if she's just being paranoid or if there really is it's clear it's evident throughout that there is something strange (laughs) <laughs> then yeah. seeing that lighthouse leads her to the library for more research. Yeah, well, how classic is this, right? Oh, by, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> none of this, uh, none of what we have been talking about, as I remember it, was really in the Japanese film. There wasn't pulling a fly off the screen. There might have been a little bit of them investigating with the tracking and things like that. But uh, again, all of these these super supernatural things uh, that are going on with the tape and not things that are just kind of related to investigating the tape. I don't remember actually in the Japanese film, and I don't remember them also seeing images from the tape as the thing goes on. So that's part of what keeps this interesting. And you're right. This is so classic uh, investigation. She goes to the library. She pulls down a stack of books. She pulls out a book called um, America's Lighthouses. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> an illustrated history and it's so cute and it's quaint but you know we actually used to have to do research like this so it's uh-huh. all that oh, i remember yeah yeah so it, this this movie's really at that weird um point in time where the internet was was a thing the internet was definitely a thing right. by here but it wasn't as sophisticated and as developed as it is now and we hadn't digitized all of the stuff you know historical things yet um, That's right. She's going through the library and she finds, sure enough, there's a photograph, interestingly enough, from the same angle, basically, so she can recognize yeah. it easily. <laughs> and it, not only that, but it's also on like the third page. Like she just barely <laughs> opens the book and, oh, here it is. Here it is. It's the lighthouse. But anyway, yeah, it's Moesco Island is the place that it leads her to next. And uh, she investigates Moesco Island. I think this time she goes to the internet and she pulls up some some articles. And what we get here is basically some backstory of uh, her finding about about a woman named Anna Morgan, who was a breeder of horses. Um, there was some unusual sickness that the ranch horses on this ranch at Moesco Island were getting. Mysterious deaths. Nobody could understand what was happening. Then her suicide comes into play. Um, And then as she's doing this investigation, she finds herself absently scribbling. And when she looks down, she sees that she has scribbled over the face of one of her photos. Um, These long, it it almost looks like she's adding hair to it, really, right over the face. And that Mm -hmm. mirrors and parallels what she has seen in uh, Katie's notebook in her bedroom right? uh, that she had taken all these magazine pictures and was just doing this constant scribbling as well as scribbling like big rings over everything. Right. Uh, Again, I don't remember this kind of stuff in the Japanese one either. So, you know, really connecting this and making the supernatural influence in her, you know, and her investigations of people around her. I mean, we didn't even mention it, but Aiden himself is having premonitions. It's, it's a different take on what Sadako, what Samara, in this case, the ghost um, can do uh, and and just how much right. of a connection to the real world she has. Right. Well, all this library research leads her to that island and to this woman named Anna Morgan. And there's been something going, strange going on, you know, with their horses and and with Anna herself. And um, on day five, Noah uh, sees his face distorted in a security camera at a gas station. 
conversation. So he uh, is on board with her. He believes her. Um, she decides that she's going to go uh, to this island. But at some point, she's talking to her sister, trying to arrange babysitting, and she chokes and she coughs up what appears to be some hair and maybe like a, a like a, a sensor, like a um, oh, what are those called? They put them on your body at the hospital, like. Oh yeah. What are those called, Todd? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I read like your heart rate and all those types of things. Yeah, it's some kind of heart monitor at the end of a of a wire, but uh, it sticks. It sticks to your body like they put like five on your chest or something. Then now I think they use like suction cups, but that now yeah, it used to be sticky. I don't know what they're called, but yeah, everybody should know what that is. And if you don't, you're an idiot. Right. So she (laughs) (laughs) So she coughs one of those up. And then uh, she wakes up from a nightmare, I think, and uh, she goes into the living room and Aiden has watched the video. And she's, of course, very upset about that. So she knows that she's got to go into action. So on day six, she hooks up with Noah and the plan is she's going to go to the island and Noah is going to go to the mental hospital where Anna Morgan had been a patient um, and they're going to do more investigation. Um, Rachel does go to the island where she visits Mr. Morgan, who is still living there, apparently. So. What is it you're writing, Miss? About horses in general, or just those that go strange? I read you had to put so many down. Most put themselves down. They drown. How'd they get out? They just broke through the fences and ran to the shore. So they went crazy? It would seem so, yes. Or maybe they just sense things before we do. But eventually, he figures out uh, what... Uh, she's really there asking about, and he just tells her to leave it alone. Uh, Meanwhile, before she had left, Aiden had given her this drawing, and when she leaves um, the Morgan's house, she opens up his drawing and sees that this was a drawing of this house. And eventually she calls uh, Aiden, and he tells her, the little girl told me to draw it. She shows me things. She lives in a dark place now. Meanwhile, Noah is at the hospital. He finds Anna's records. He finds that she's had a history of miscarriage, and that's what's kind of led to her um, mental deterioration. But he also finds that at some point uh, there was a daughter, and that the daughter had also been uh, a patient at the hospital. So he tries to get her records, um, and eventually doesn't. I mean, this this is all cutting back and forth. We cut back and forth between the island and the hospital. But ev- eventually, he finds out that there's video record of Samara, this daughter, and he goes to try to get it, but it's not there. Somebody else has already taken it, and the last person to check it out was the dad, Mr. Morgan. Meanwhile, back on the island, Rachel visits one of the Morgan's neighbors, and the neighbor explains that... They tried to have kids over and over again, but they couldn't. So finally, one winter, they went away, and they came back with a baby, and it was Samara. But soon after that, Anna, the mother, started having visions that only occurred around Samara, and things just generally started going bad around the island. Not only were the horses uh, going crazy and dying and jumping off cliffs and things, but um, it's a fishing island. They couldn't get in a good haul. You know, all kinds of things that seemed to point that there was something going on um, with Samara. And that things are are better now that she's gone. Um, So Rachel goes back to the Morgan house and she finds Samara's birth certificate, which says that she is the uh, natural daughter of these two people, Mr. and Mrs. Morgan. And she also, again, very conveniently finds the tape sticking out, the tape of Samara's uh, hospital video. And she puts it in and the doctor is questioning Samara. I love my mommy. Yes, you do. But you don't want to hurt her anymore now, do you? 
You don't want to hurt anyone. But I do, and I'm sorry. It won't stop. Well, that's why you're here. So that I can help you to make it stop. He's going to leave me here. Who? Daddy. And then that's all we get before Mr. Morgan hits her from behind, snatches away the videotape, um, and then and just the kind of really <laughs> – and Yeah, and the TV, which is interesting. And I didn't really understand the purpose of hitting her either um, no. because it didn't seem like he had really any malice towards her um, except for that she was kind of bringing this stuff up again. Um, but he says to her – She'll never stop. And meanwhile, he's walking into the uh, bathroom and there's water all over the floor. The tub is full and he's got all of this electrical equipment. I don't know if it was plugged (laughs) into a generator or what, but it's like tons of this equipment all plugged in. um, And he ends up uh, electrocuting himself because he says she'll never stop. And again, conveniently, I don't have any idea how he got there in, you know, 15 minutes, but (laughs) Noah shows up. Rachel remembers that Aiden had said she doesn't like the barn. Uh, Horses keep her awake. And so they go check out the barn. And again, they find the ladder. And they crawl up the ladder. And they find that in the hayloft has been set up a child's room. Um, And presumably that it was set up up there with the ladder so that the ladder could be removed and she would be stuck up there. Mm -hmm. And so Rachel comes to the conclusion that Mr. Morgan was neglectful and abusive of Samara because – Samara was causing the wife's uh, deterioration, and that's why he wanted to keep her away. And so she feels a lot of sympathy for Samara. And as they're investigating the room, they see that the wallpaper is kind of peeling, and they pull it back, and burned into the wood or etched into the wood is this tree, which she recognizes as the tree from Shelter Mountain, which then, of course, leads them back to Shelter Mountain. And then we kind of get into uh, some of the climactic moments. Yeah, you're right. It's really convenient. And again, it's sort of like a lighthouse. You see a tree. It could be any tree, but she somehow connects this with the tree on Shelter Mountain. I don't know. I didn't think it was that distinctive. No. So they go back to the cabin, and they're in the cabin, and they're like, all right, well, we're back here. She says, we've come full circle. What do we do? Uh, He gets angry. Now, why does he get angry again? Why does Noah get angry? Because it's day seven, and she thinks it's too late. She thinks that they've run into a dead end, and he's Uh. not willing to give up. And so he starts throwing things around, like maybe it's in the VCR, maybe the clue's in the VCR, maybe it's in the TV, maybe it's in this. And he's like tearing the place apart. (laughs) Yeah, which is is, is silly, um, but it, it works as a device because he throws down or knocks over this vase filled with decorative marbles and all the marbles roll to a low spot in the floor and they pull back the rug and there's this big circle um, and it looks mildewed. Um, There's obviously something under there. So they... (laughs) get an axe (laughs) as one do and uh, they chop up the floor and underneath it they find this well that we have seen it was in uh, the original video and then we have a a, uh, final destination sequence in (laughs) which this Rube Goldberg device I don't even remember exactly what happens, but they, they take, there's this big stone lid on the well and they slide it off and they're looking down in there. And somehow 
like the TV stand breaks or something and it rolls down the floor towards them and it pushes Rachel into the well. And she falls into this huge well. Like they've already established how deep it is. But luckily she's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, right. And and of course, <laughs> like all movie wells, at the bottom of the well, somehow it's this like gigantic cavernous room. <laughs> It's yeah. not nearly as narrow <laughs> as it started out at the top, apparently, because that's how you dig wells, of course. Uh, no, th- right. it was it was like a real supernatural thing. Like the TV, like water started to come from the TV. It was flickering on and off, and like nails were were coming out of the floor by themselves. It was like yeah, the ghost of Samara was causing all this to happen. Again, none of this is in the original. Um, in the original, they find the well and they investigate it. They like toss a rope down and they go down in there. So anyway, yeah, so she ends up down at the bottom of the well, and he runs off to help her. In the meantime, uh, she is having some visions down there, and she's piecing it all together pretty quickly. Supernaturally, the well, the top of the well, is coming back over her, trying to seal her back in. And when she looks up, she sees the ring that she's been seeing this whole time. Right. Which is this... And again, it doesn't physically make sense <laughs> because in order for this right. to happen, the lid would have to be a little smaller than uh, the opening. But we've seen that the lid actually like is much bigger than the opening. But anyway, the idea is that the sunlight kind of creeps in around the edges of the top of the well when it's sealed uh, and makes that mm-hmm. ring. So the ring really was supposed to refer to the cyclical nature of this video. At least that's how it originally was. Um, in the remake, right. they really make a point of this physical, actual ring. People are like, like right. in Noah's visions, he's drawing a ring. She's absolutely drawing a ring. Katie was drawing a ring. But what she's able to do, and I think this was clever, is piece it together that the ring is what Samara had to stare up at for seven right. days uh, before she died. In the meantime, uh, she looks and sees on the sides of the walls that there are scratch marks where somebody obviously been trying to claw out herself out. A cheap shot, but okay, whatever, because it's supernatural. She has the vision in the well of exactly what happened. Uh, and that right. is that Samara was standing at that well, staring at the tree in this big field. And her mother comes up from behind her and says, all I wanted was you, before putting a big plastic bag over her head, starting to suffocate her, and then dumping her into the well. So the mother apparently thinks that she killed her before she tossed her into the well. But the tragedy of the situation is that Samara wasn't even dead at that point. The body uh, kind of lifts up uh, in the well, and she embraces it, and it looks like Samara as she was. But again, it's part of her vision, and as her vision kind of fades away, she sees that she's holding the skeleton uh, of this girl. And this is where, you know, we've hit the traditional ghost story of, oh, I guess the point of it is to make peace with the ghost by finding the body uh, and then burying it properly, you know, that kind of deal. Right. Okay. And and that that's very traditional. You know, I, I you've seen that a lot. You know, when a when a body is not laid to rest appropriately, then the spirit, you know, haunts and whatnot. And and I'm I'm all well and good with that. And it's actually kind of a sweet moment when she lifts up, you know, Samara in her normal childlike state is is cute and innocent and you feel sympathy for her and you feel sympathy for Rachel because you think that she's done such a good thing here and it appears then and it's going to be happily ever after they kind of ride off together and um, eventually they you know they pick up uh, Aiden and they're all in the car together and I think that Rachel and Aiden are holding hands and then here's where the twist comes now before we get to the twist this bothered me the first time I saw it and it still bothers me okay I understand that from what 
Rachel has been shown, it appears that this mother maliciously killed her daughter because she was mentally unstable or mentally unill, or maybe there was something going on with this daughter that was supernatural and that was inconvenient and was causing bad things to happen. Like because Samara didn't like the horses, the horses died. And of course, that's not a good thing. That's their livelihood. And you know, if it's causing problems for the whole island, okay, so maybe she would have a motive to kill her. But it seems like we're supposed to sympathize with Samara at this point. However, if Samara's whole purpose was to find peace and to find aid and assistance, why would she do that by killing people? Like, yeah. that just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and, and killing innocent people. I mean, it reminds me, I don't want to, in case we ever watched this movie or in case you haven't seen it, it reminds me of that Kevin Bacon movie, Stir of Echoes, where there's a, a very similar thing going on. And um, once the spirit is, um, you know, satisfied, once once the spirit is laid to rest, then everything is okay. Um, but even in that movie, though there were hauntings and there were strange things going on, the spirit didn't seem to be malicious. So I was curious as to why... Rachel would just disregard all of that that had happened. You know, the, mm. the fact that all these people had died, including her niece. I mean, it ends up making sense with the twist. Why don't you go ahead and uh, explain the twist? She's laying her son to rest, and she's like, oh, you know, it's all over now um, because we found Samara and we put her to rest, whatever. And he bolts up out of bed and says, you helped her? And she's like, well, yeah. And he says, you weren't supposed to do that. She never sleeps. And then we cut to Noah. Uh, and Noah, remember, he watched the tape, what, the next day. So this would be the next day, and Noah's uh -huh. back in his studio. And I'm not going to walk us through the whole thing. But suffice it to say um, that there is a very creepy and I think extremely effective uh, scene where the tape comes on, and basically what happened to Katie happens to Noah, except we get to more or less see it. Th this right. was great. And mm -hmm. I think what's kind of creepy about the Japanese film is that we don't get a ton of the backstory. We don't get a ton of the explanation. There aren't these premonitions, so there's not a kid to say, oh, you weren't supposed to do that. We just discover to our horror that that is still not going to stop this from happening. So yeah, so that that's, that's kind of what happens. Rachel runs there, re realizing that Noah's in danger, tries to call him. He's not answering. Uh, when she gets there, she discovers him in the chair. So she runs home, and she grabs the tape, and she's just smashing against the floor like what's wrong what do you need from me what do you want from me and she destroys the tape in the process and tosses it into the fireplace and then pretty much conveniently i think because she comes up with these ideas that are pretty spot on pretty quickly she realizes what was different about her is that she made a copy of the tape Right. Um, I don't know if a person would ever figure that out, but <laughs> Yeah, I don't case. know either. I mean and and again, that's one of those things she does. I mean, she figures things out pretty quickly. I mean, we can give her credit for being smart or whatever, but um <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, she thinks why you know, she says out loud, Why not me? Why him? Why not me? So she thinks, you know, what was different? And so she sees the copy under the couch and she thinks, ah, that's what's different. I made a copy. He didn't. So her theory is that if she helps or if she has Aiden make a copy, um, that then he will be safe. And so that's exactly what she does. It's, it's kind of a neat shot where she's guiding his hand on the machine as they're sitting there uh, doing this she says something like, it's going to be okay now. And Aiden says, well, what about the person we show it to? What happens to them? 
and she, we just we see a, a look on her face, and and she doesn't really respond, and then it just cuts to black, um, and that's uh, the end. Um, I I like it. I don't know, you know, talking about it now, I, I, I like it even more because, you know, we've now talked for over an hour, uh, about the plot and there's, there's a lot going on. Um, and it, it is fast paced and, uh, I never lost interest. I was never bored. Um, in fact, I, I really feel like I could probably go back and watch this again and catch things that I hadn't caught before. Um, I think that it's, it's probably a movie that deserves at least a couple watch, a couple watches, a couple viewings, because, um, there really is a lot going on. Is it, uh, really, you know, believable that all of these puzzle pieces would fall into place so conveniently? Certainly not. But at the same time, it's well constructed enough so that it doesn't seem like such a leap of faith, um, to believe these things, um, that it doesn't, it didn't pull me out. Um, I, I was okay with it. I I'm the same way. You know, at at times it can feel, uh, you know, honestly, the investigation sequence reminded me a little bit of a Giallo film. You know, we've seen a couple of those Mm -hmm. and what we talk about in those is that how, um, oftentimes the investigation doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, they just conveniently stumble across things, or they just have some vision, and so it leads them to some house somewhere. It, it all ends up pretty random in those kind of movies. This movie, there are a couple moments where it seems a little too convenient, but at least it makes sense. It's not super random. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, no, it, it was totally fine. And again, that's what makes this movie, I think, better um, than at least the one Japanese movie that came before it, in that, <laughs> I'm telling you, with Ringu... You watch it, it creeps you out, and then you're treated to another hour of investigation where really nothing spooky or supernatural happens. Mm-hmm. And then you get that, you know, the thing at the end. Uh, so it's really more of a detective story bookended by a ghost story in that sense. In this case, it feels more like a ghost story throughout. But you're right. Um, I guess what, what we're supposed to understand is that Samara herself, even as a girl, is just plain evil, or at least... evil. Right. Yeah, right? Or at least can't help that she's evil in some way, shape, or form. You know, she doesn't need um, any kind of resolution. She is just going to continue to visit upon other people the pain that she experienced. Right. That's that's that. And that's a real nihilistic, you know, um, kind of thing. And I yeah. think that's what makes this movie so creepy is it's it's terribly nihilistic. And again, that's what you're going to find in J-horror and Korean horror and stuff like that is things are just generally really bleak and nihilistic uh, in their traditions of, of, of horror films. Yeah, I wanted just to say that um, visually I, I really appreciate this movie. There's some really good images. You kind of, you know, that that last scary climactic scene with Samara climbing out of the television. Again, that's another one of the iconic scenes, and that – that specifically was a scene that I wish that I had not seen before I saw the movie. It was in almost every trailer. It's the most exciting part of the movie. Um, and it was just kind of spoiled, you know, in, in the marketing. And and that Mm -hmm. was a little bit disappointing. Um, but there's some other, you know, the cinematography throughout, I think is good, but there are some really striking images. The one that stands out to me, um, is in the flashback scene where we see Samara from the back standing in front of her. Well, and in the, background are these rolling hills and that um that that tree with the red leaves and there are horses you know kind of grazing and it's just a beautiful picture and and there's some really um interesting images like that that i really uh, appreciated from a technical perspective you're the tech guy would you agree 
Oh yeah, that was beautiful. The great cinematography in here. Um, the, you know, the director is Gore Verbinski, um, and he does really good stuff. Was it maybe a couple years after this that he did the Pirates of the Caribbean film, uh, the first one? Yeah. So he really he really switched gears here. I've always kind of liked what Gore Verbinski does. A little bit of the horse stuff was kind of silly though. I, I thought it was funny, you know, that fairy scene when she's going over to the island and. Uh, She's staring out into space, and she walks back absently and comes across that horse in the horse pen, and she reaches in, and the horse kind of veers up at her, and she's like, oh, oh, don't worry, you know, just, it's okay, I'm not going to hurt you, and she reaches her hand back in again, and it's clearly antagonizing this horse, and he rears up, right. and, she, and she's just standing there like, no, it's okay, it's okay, like, like what? Just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Stop annoying yeah, this Yeah, horse. I glossed over that scene. I forgot. I actually really liked that scene. It was exciting when the horse breaks out and is running all around the ferry <laughs> and it eventually jumps off. You know, it, it was kind of hard to watch. You know, we've talked about this before. I, it's difficult for me to watch animals in peril and animals suffering, but um, it was a dramatic scene. Uh, it was exciting. And there are some, you know, cut in here into these investigation scenes there are some exciting and suspenseful scenes you know i i i i like the movie i i guess that's what i'm getting at um i in fact i i liked it better this time around than i remembered liking it uh the first time so i think maybe i just kind of needed to be away from it for a while and return to it with fresh eyes i liked it too and i know you're trying to wind us down but there's one thing i want to want to bring up and that is this Mm too Okay, as beautiful as the tape is, and as as cool as the imagery is, and and how it all kind of makes sense with the story as she progresses, what I don't understand is this tape is very specific to her and her experience. It turns out to be so. Right. When other people watch the tape, are they going to see different things, or is it for everybody? It always going to play out this way. You know what I mean? Or Uh-oh. do they yeah. just not do the investigation, and so they don't get you know, to see the ladder and the, the water, you know, of the, the dead horse and the, this, you know, the tree on the hill or whatnot. Yeah. I don't know. And that's something that I don't remember from the sequel. And I don't know, like you said, I think there's like 16 different iterations of this. Um, I don't know if the tape remains the same throughout. I can't imagine that it would, that would seem, I would think that that would get really stale and boring really soon. So there's got to be more to, um, the mythology of this, uh, I just can't imagine it sustaining for as long as it has. And, and maybe, like I said, I don't remember the sequel, uh, and maybe with, uh, rings, uh, the one that's in theater now, maybe we'll get some more mythology. I know that, um, it, that one of the Japanese sequels was actually a prequel. I think it was called Ringu Zero or something like mm-hmm. that. And um, it tells a lot more of Samara's backstory and actually makes her more of a sympathetic character, which on paper doesn't sound really good to me, but I'd be really interested to see what they do with it. Um, I'm not going to race out and seek it out right away, but um, it would be interesting to kind of see... I would, you know, with so many different iterations, I would be interested just to even read up more about um, the universe and the mythology that goes along with it. Yeah, it would be interesting because, like, for example, in the original one, like uh, the mother, she they, they don't breed horses. Uh, she's like a traveling, like showman, like a traveling psychic kind of person. You know, back into the turn of the mm. century, and and it puts it back much earlier than like 1978, I think, which is which is when all the events of this happens. It, she's a little more old, uh, and so they don't get to see you know her husband or whatever. That there's none of that. Um, gotcha. When their investigation, gotcha. they come across old films of 
uh, this couple doing this traveling. It's essentially like a traveling sideshow where she would like, you know, get objects from people in the audience and then be able to tell them about themselves. Or she would, you know, <laughs> do like a psychic presentation basically. And then this was their daughter. So the parents themselves, um, you know, in the original novel and in the original Japanese film are also – I don't know if they are legitimately psychic, you know, or not, but there's clearly some implication because their daughter, therefore, you know, has these powers. Gotcha. So it would have to be totally different, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. In, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I, I want to see the new one um, because with the advancements in technology, I think there's all kinds of cool things that they could do. I mean, my God, surely somebody would put this on YouTube, right? I mean, that would be an yeah. easy way to get it off your back. <laughs> <laughs> And now the whole world is doomed. <laughs> it's so funny how much of this we've we've got to explain to a modern audience, right? All these little things. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend, but don't make a copy of it. Just tell them where it is. <laughs> you can find the copies that we upload anyway on iTunes. Uh, we're also on Google Play and on Stitcher. Also, you can find us on Facebook. Thank you again, Jordan, for your recommendation. We are take more recommendations, and we will, of course, watch the movies you want us to see because it's a lot more fun that way than us just uh, twiddling our thumbs. Yep. All right. Uh, until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. <laughs>